Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast Season 3. Uh, thank you very much to our sponsors, Brand Boulevard. Um, they will be getting, our guest today will be getting a, a nice little gift from a good old brand, COVID-friendly delivered. Um, my name is Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. And our guest, uh, if you remember from last week, um, is uh, again Michael Rass uh, from Meridian Credit Union, Director of Government and Stakeholder Relations. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I guess I did well enough the last time that you had me back the second week. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so for same shirts. Yeah, it's just crazy how that works. It's know. like Dragon's Den. Yeah. COVID. I change once a month. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're going to delve into your other stream um, of, of what you do, which is um, government relations, but more on the politics side. Right. And we're going to go into the U.S. Um, uh, the, the U.S. election. And for <laughs> any of those that are listening, we are still a couple weeks away from the November 3rd election. Probably by the time you are listening to this a president of the United States, hopefully, cross her fingers, uh, has been clearly uh, decided and um, the economy can move forward. Um, so, Michael, you want to maybe shed some, as we're discussing Bloomberg, you know, we started Yahoo Finance, they're also starting to chat about the blue wave that might be coming down the pipeline. Um, they're saying as of today, Joe Biden nationally is up 10 points. Uh, has a 70% chance of winning the Electoral College um, based on individual state polls. Dems look like they're going to hold on to the House, and they have a shot at the Senate, if you want to kind of take it from there. Sure. Yeah, I guess the, the, the thing to offer first is caveat, 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 right? We're at time of recording, we're 20 days from the election, um, and normally elections would be much more predictable than this one, but... Uh, the news cycle seems to go by the minute. Um, but I'm not, what I, the difference between this election and the last election is I'm not, is two things. Um, Hillary Clinton's negatives were very high. Uh, 53% of Americans, 56% of Americans in the last election thought, had negative impressions of, of Hillary Clinton. Uh, in this election, Joe Biden's positives are something like 56%. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, he's kind of reversed that. Um, interesting aside, by the way, is I, I read a poll yesterday that said that um, um, uh, Donald Trump's approval rating is exactly the same uh, as um, Justin Trudeau's approval rating, about 41%. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh -huh. um, or for any Canadians who, uh, who believe that we're, we're somehow superior because, because we have a, a, a somewhat more stable prime minister uh, than their president. Um, so the, so the first caveat is a lot somewhat. can change somewhat, uh, a lot can change. A lot can, uh, a lot will happen. Um, you know, uh, Donald Trump is unpredictable and his campaign is unpredictable. Um, the, the, so that's the first caveat. The second thing I would say is all the trends are certainly happening and going in the right direction for Joe Biden, but I don't think any of it is because Joe Biden is a, a, a fantastic campaigner or is doing anything particularly special. Um, I think it's because, I mean, controversial statement here, 
but I don't think that Donald, Donald Trump is very good at this politics thing. Like he's, he may be president and he may have sort of fluked his way into becoming president, but he has shown that he's, he's learned absolutely no lessons in how to be a good president. Uh, or how to be he's, exactly he's he's a TV uh, carnival barker. Uh, I read today that that he's he's interested in doing an event to counter program Joe Biden's town hall later this week. That one that was supposed to be scheduled for October the fifteenth, uh, where the debate was. But, but because the debate was canceled, Joe Biden's going to hold a town hall. So Donald Trump is now insisting on doing a counter programmed event for which he, he insists will get a higher TV rating, which is probably true because he's just going to put it on Fox News or whatever, uh, and, and therefore get a higher, a higher rating and lord that over Donald Trump or lord that over, over Joe Biden. In other words, his interest is not in winning votes. It's in, it's in winning TV ratings. Well, if TV ratings were the, the measure, um, then yeah, I don't know. Jerry Seinfeld should be the should be the president of the United States, right? You know, or, exactly. Or whatever. Like it's a ridiculous measure. Reagan did rock. Yeah, and there's a certain degree. And you're absolutely right. Reagan was a you know a popular TV photogenic uh, president, but at least he was presidential or doing it right. He was um, he actually had an agenda that he accomplished. And I think the third thing I'd say about Donald Trump is is especially to all of my conservative friends, is what has he accomplished in four years? He got a couple of judges appointed. I'll give you that. But that, was, just, that was based on situational. That had nothing to do with him. Exactly. The Senate was, you know, happened to be, happened to be uh, in his favor. Got 10 feet um, of a wall built. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah, you have 10 feet of a wall built. He cut taxes uh, a lot, which resulted in a massive share buyback, which has artificially inflated the market for a while. But the real economy is, I don't think, any better off. I mean, Brandon, you might have a different perspective on that. Um, so but people see the markets up, right? Michael, that's true. What people look, they look at the Dow, they look at, you know, the NASDAQ and their markets. Yeah. So if I'll, I'll just weigh in on that one and we all have to remember, and I think this is, you know, we've learned this definitely during this recession for sure. The market's not the economy and the economy is not the market, right? They're mutually exclusive. And, you know, the market is a predictor of future earnings. They buy the future. They don't buy the present. Nope. Um, and it only gets corrected on the present numbers. So basically, if it doesn't hit benchmarks. So to Michael's point, when in 2017, he cut taxes to a ridiculously no, no low number. And I remember, I think I was talking to you about that, Michael, if, if I'm not mistaken. But in order for that, that, that bill to pass and to, to be balanced... GDP had to be north of 3% growth every year. And it just, it had never, yeah, it had never even come close to that since the early 2000s, ironically coming out of a recession, which is, that makes sense because that's when you have high inflation is coming out of, hmm. of, out of, out of, out of a dip. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was massive share buyback. So ba basically you have less shares on the market. So supply and demand, there's more demand, shares go up. Pretty straightforward. Good for the average investor. Good for the pension plans. Um, but not a lot of money into the average Joe's pocket. And I think as, uh, Michael, if I, you know, both you and I would, I would say are, are fiscally conservative with regards to tax policy and fiscal policy. Mm -hmm. um, and 
we like bef- for the longest time the markets were like oh joe's gonna win and oh goodness what's that gonna mean for x y and z and because hi- that usually means higher taxes higher taxes usually means uh less profit for companies and therefore shares go down but the, what, that was an old platform. That was pre-COVID. That wasn't what, what's happening right now. And what they're exactly. seeing for the next two years is, is stimulus, which is going to be, yeah, which is what everyone has said. Hey, go ahead, take tax. But for crying out loud, give it back to the people and, and give it back to Main Street. Quit bailing out these big you know, AIGs and mm. General Motors and all these big, massive companies that just end up rooting up and shipping off their, their, their stuff to Mexico or China or wherever they want to go. But they put it under the guise that they're securing employment here, Brandon, right? And the, that's the old way. That, that's, but that's not what new policy is, is coming. And that's why the markets are reacting to a blue wave differently than how they were initially reacting. And I don't know, Michael, if you want to maybe uh, comment on that? Yeah, I think the I think the U.S. economy something runs at about um, at a clip of if I remember the numbers correctly about three trillion dollars a month. Yeah, that's right, right? Yep. Right. So the these the stimulus numbers that we're talking about being thrown around, um, you know, like the latest one was a two point something trillion dollars. I mean, the, the, the difference between Donald Trump's position is he wants a two point two trillion dollar. Uh, number and the only reason he's chosen that number is because it's because uh, the, the Democrats have chosen a 2.1 trillion dollar number. Yes, so he, wants be, he wants to be bigger. Okay, fine. Um, you know, then we should just all proclaim that Donald Trump's dick is the biggest, so we can get past the uh, past the stuff. Can I say that on your podcast? I'm sorry. Yes, are you, you can. Subjected? Yes, you can. Are, are you are you subjected to CRTC regulation? No. We are not. We're more. We we are on the more Joe Joe Rogan style of uh, podcasts. There you go. So I just I just made a comment about Donald Trump's dick. There you go. There you go. Um, the uh, but the, the the point I was trying to make was it is is it, like the numbers almost don't matter, and that's painful for me to say as a fiscal conservative, um, because at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is get through the emergency, um, and so let's get through this emergency and, and move on from there. The markets are predicting, I think, that they're going to get through the emergency and there's going to be a period of stability after that. And that stability starts with a governmental stability that Joe, that Joe Biden promises. It may be a very different story if Bernie Sanders had been elected as the leader or, or Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. had been elected as the leader. I agree with that. But with, with Joe Biden, they're looking at this and going, okay, let's just get us back to normal. And then in the next cycle after that, we'll figure out, you know, what, what the future looks like. Um, but that all presumes that the Republican Party returns to some degree of normalcy and becomes something that's, that's, um, that uh, is more in the mold of a, a George W. Bush or, or Ronald Reagan. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but, you know, there is hope um, that we, we get back, at least in my opinion, we get back to some degree of, of, of a normal left-right kind of dynamic in the, uh, in the U.S., the other thing I think is important for us as Canadians to understand or to realize is Joe Biden's not necessarily going to be great for Canada either. Right. Um, he's a buy, he's a buy America guy. He's a bit of a protectionist. Um, he doesn't, I don't think have a strong record on, on, on free trade. Oil and um, gas. Oil and gas is, is, you know, he's going to be under extreme pressure from the left wing of his party. 
to uh, to 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 cancel things like Keystone XL and and, and other pipelines. Um, so you know that it's not necessarily a positive for Canada that 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 Joe it's, Biden. There. But it's better than what it is. Hundred percent. Hundred percent better than what it is. Yeah, 100%. but you could put Kermit the Frog there and it'd be better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's all relative it's all, in context, right? <laughs> exactly. So the, the, uh, yeah. And I think that's what we've got to try to, you know, get past is try to figure out is, um, let's just get us through the stability. What, what I'm most nervous about is the short term instability of if it's a close election, what does that do for civil unrest in the United States that we end up seeing, you know, um, uh, seeing, uh, seeing, Seeing, civil uh, war, civil war. I mean, on November the third, I'm seriously thinking of just taking my portfolio, selling it all, putting it into cash, and then riding it out and see what comes. I'll buy back in on the fifth if it's stable. But you know, <laughs> the fourth is I'm going to be you know all in gold bullion underneath my mattress. Maybe maybe I can get better advice from on that one. <laughs> but, uh, they're even saying though that there's no the likelihood of knowing the the outcome of the election is going to take some time anyways right because there's so many states that have the laws that state they can't start counting ballots mail-in ballots what have you until the day of the election so that that all depends though there's i mean like for example you know if there's six swing states right yes so there's michigan wisconsin iowa ohio pennsylvania Pennsylvania, florida Florida, right and essentially if biden takes florida that's it. Good night. Good night, sweet Caroline. We're done. Um, and the reason is why we say that is Florida actually has already started counting mail-in ballots. Yeah. The smaller states have not. And, the, and, and that's where if he loses Florida, he has to win at least three out of the six swing states or five swing states remaining in order to even have a shot. Yeah. Um, that's where you're kind of running it in. I, I'm telling all of my clients, expect volatility leading into the November 3rd. Um, there is a 1% chance there's people from, you know, a lot smarter economists than us on this panel that are saying less than a 1% chance that it goes longer than the 2000 uh, uh, election uh, fiasco between Bush and Gore. Um, and you know, they're hedging maybe about a 10% chance it goes three weeks, but even then, uh, they, they, they think that he's going to win with an, enough of a, of a, of a majority or of a margin that it'd be hard to contest. Do you know what I mean? Well, I hope that is the case. Um, so it, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, if he can keep this lead, this 10 point lead leading into now, whether or not they take the Senate, that is something that I don't know. Right. Um, that's where, what scares me, this it's, it's actually not the recount. It's not actually Trump, uh, contesting different riding or different writings or counties. It's the fact that there's nowhere in the constitution that states that, the electoral the electoral votes, which is the number of House of Representatives plus the two senators, so Wisconsin has ten, California has forty five. Nowhere in the uh, Constitution does it state that it has to go to the winner of the popular vote of that particular state. State legislatures can tell 
their electors to vote for whomever they want. Well, it depends on the state constitution. Some states right. have, some states are different than others, but yeah, generally speaking, you're right. So are you worried about that, Michael? Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, um, bring in the lawyers, right? If I'm Joe Biden's campaign, the, the number one thing I'm buying right now is, uh, is the best lawyers I can buy in every single county in the United States. Right. To show through the polls. I'm putting together an army of 5,000 pit bulls um, to, to argue this vote. And I'm sure the Donald Trump campaign is doing the same thing um, because I think it's going to come down to a lot of that in a lot of places. That's um, crazy. That's crazy. And, and that's a sad commentary on democracy, right? I mean, you're seeing yeah. stories out of today, and this is, again, day 20 or 20, T minus 20, um, where lineups for advanced polling. I read one this morning. It was uh, in Florida or Georgia. The lineup was 11 hours long. Um, can you imagine lining up for 11 hours to do anything, let alone vote? In Canada, we are so blessed. I mean, if I left the lineup for 30 minutes, I'm like bitching and moaning. <laughs> I don't know if right. we. I don't know if we'd vote anybody in if we had to wait eleven hours. Right? Is that in counties that are typically? Do you think that now? Where do they think that's coming from? The the left of people that didn't vote the last time. One of the problems was less people voted for Hillary Clinton than voted for Obama's second uh, for reelection uh, on the Democrat side. Do you think these are Democrats yeah. that are mobilized? Yeah, it, it largely is. Like as of yesterday, again, T minus twenty, ten million Americans have already voted. Um, you know, which is more than votes in the Canadian general election. So it tells you how big, you know, the numbers are so far, um, which is you know, mind blowing. <clears throat> um, but they're, they're, they're voting at fewer polling places because in a lot of U.S. states, the mostly Republican controlled um, uh, uh, state legislatures. And again, I'm coming at this from, from the perspective as a conservative. So this pains me to say that my, my, my brethren and, and sisters in the in the conservative movement have done this, but they've, they're, they've deliberately um, removed um, voting rights from a lot of people. There are something like 700 fewer polling places in the state of Georgia. And where were those polling places? In minority neighborhoods and, and, and communities. There are places where there's only one place to vote in a particular county and you've got to drive, you know, miles and miles and miles to get there. Um, well, who does that target? It targets people who are poor or who don't, can't get away, can't get away from their job for 11 hours or they can't find daycare for their kids for 11 hours, right? So that's, who, that's who's being <clears throat> driven away from, from being able to vote. And so that type of stuff has to, uh, has to be addressed and that's what is being overcome in this one. That's why you saw the Democratic Convention a few months ago, you know, uh, Michelle Obama saying, make a plan, pack a lunch, pack dinner, um, plan to be there, make it, you know, Make your voting plan. I've never heard of a voting plan before. Voting is just something you, you know, you show up at the local school gymnasium and you, you go do it. Grab your card and away you go. Yeah. It's, it's, it should be simple. Um, so maybe this is where Canada can teach some lessons. Well, it's, we should... it's true democracy, Michael, right? Yeah. It's a true democratic process. Where the polling stations are really should have no bearing, right? Yes. Well, that's all due to gerrymandering. Our, our gerrymandering happens with a third party, you know, body that has nothing to do with who's in power provincially, city-wise, federally. There's its complete state legislature. It's, it's crazy. But a two-party system's hard, though, too, right? You got you to gotta envision this. Yeah. 
And we've got our own problems. You know, Niagara Falls is, the, is they think, the first or second largest riding in Canada by population. Niagara Falls, how the hell did that happen? Um, it's because we, you know, um, it's because and PEI, which has the same population as the city of Niagara Falls, uh, has four seats while Niagara Falls has one. You know, so we we have our own, you know, quirks, but they're just that, they're quirks. There's nobody deliberately trying to disenfranchise people who live in Niagara Falls from, from having an equal vote. Um, but, you know, we got to fix some things, but those are things that you can fix in a, in a reasonable fashion versus the United States, which they need a full-scale uh, full scale re- redo or rethink you know, in a lot of places. Well, I mean, there if are anything, we're pumping up PEI. To... Go ahead. Well, their electoral college hasn't been changed. Like, for example, Wisconsin has eight representatives and two senators, so they have 10 electoral votes and they have a population of just over 5 million. California has 43 representatives. Why? Don't know. And two senators, but they have a population of 42 million. Like you've got eight times the population and you don't, they don't have 80 representatives. Like, and then on top of that, the electoral college somewhere along the lines in the early 1900s went first past the post. It should be proportional representation. You can keep the electoral college, just make it proportional representation done. That way the Republicans in California get actually a say the Democrats in Texas actually get a say you know, your vote actually matters in that particular situation. But um, then what, what do you, what do you say about the popular vote then? Well, that, that is the popular vote because if you have proportional representation of the electoral college, absolutely, which is what, which is what the forefathers originally had, it was yeah. proportional representation. Yeah. Cause um, Trump didn't win the popular vote last year, last, last election. No, but s- somewhere along the line, states changed to winner take all. And that was in the early 1900s and late 1800s. Um, Andrew Coyne had a great column in this morning's Globe and Mail uh, making that exact point. Of course, he made it in 1,500 words that you just made it in 300, so good on you, Brandon. But (laughs) you're a lot less uh, verbose than uh, than Andrew Coyne. But he makes that very same point to say it's ridiculous that the entire U.S. election is fought in six states. Like Trump Trump and Biden will not be visiting California in this entire election. 42 million people, they're not going to bother visiting. Trump is from New York City. He will not be campaigning in New York City, um, which is just, you know, blows my mind. <laughs> right. Uh, because why bother visiting that? Because we know they're, how they're going to vote because their electoral college, you know, will, will skew that way. Um, whereas what Coyne makes the point is to say, if California was, say, 55% Democrat and 45% Republican, the Republicans would show up to sort of to, to get that 45%. But right now, there's no incentive for them to show up because... 100% uh, of, uh, of, the, of the voters going to the, going to the Democrats. Um, right. It would change the dynamic completely if we, we were to move to a, a, a more dynamic uh, U.S. election. I'm, I'm torn on that from a Canadian perspective as to whether we need to move to a proportional representation system. I'm, I'm worried about it, in, um, given our parliamentary democracy, whether that would uh, create a, a little more instability. Perpetual minority governments are not exactly a great way to uh, move things to, forward. Uh, move things forward uh, in in the Canadian system. So we have to be a little bit careful about preaching from from our choir. But it's worth a it's worth a debate at least. 
And to, 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 I guess, to, to just put some context on why this is so important, um, the, the, uh, in U.S. dollars, the Canadian GDP in 2019 was $1.7 trillion U.S. in 2019. The first wave of COVID-19 stimulus that came out of the House of U.S. Representatives and, and, and uh, voted in by the Senate was close to $2.5 trillion. And to Michael Rass's second point, they're arguing over another $2.1, $2.2 trillion. They're arguing over more stimulus in one wave than the entire Canadian population produces for GDP. Um, True. I mean, they are 10 times the size population-wise. But. but that just goes to show you the economic impact. They are the oldest and largest and most powerful democracy in the world, economically, uh, figuratively, and literally when it comes to... Rome would be cursing you. The, uh, Rome the, would be cursing you. <laughs> yeah, well, Rome fell. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it, it's huge. It's huge on business. It's huge on trade for Canada. 70% of our exports go there. So it's important that they get their ship right. So, so who should then, we be investing with? What's that? So where should my investments go for on November well, I, the fourth? I'm still saying to all buy, <laughs> buy and hold. Uh, wait out the. I you know, if it ends up being a blue wave, get ready for a bull. Uh, come the start of Q1 of 2021. Is the blue wave coming to federal Canadian politics as well? No. Well, oh. Hope so. I, I mean, great, but I don't think so. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks very much, Michael, for joining us. Really appreciate your insight, your professional insight on this uh, on this topic. I don't know about that. <laughs> that was a nice little plug. Uh, everyone, thanks for sharing, caring. Uh, please listen. Um, we're at a couple thousand listens, 5,000, 4,000 listens. I don't know if Trevor has those numbers. And uh, thanks very much, everyone. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Help us. Help you. Stay informed. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. 
wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Hey, 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 hey. Produced by Crier Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.